0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
0: We're seeing on the streets of New York and L.A. and Minneapolis and Houston and Chicago. is not a reaction to a public lynching, though that's what happened. We're not just seeing the reaction to the 1,000 people a year, roughly, that get killed by law enforcement every year since Ferguson. What we're seeing is a past due notice for the unpaid debts owed to black people for 400 years. Today is July 4th, but I
1: don't feel like celebrating
0: For me, it was really important to show up and not only bear witness to history, but help in defining and shaping it. Today, we are reminded of a delayed promise by this America, independence, freedom, and justice for all. Uh, Welcome back, everybody. Uh, So that is a cut from Boiling Point. It's a BET documentary, How Racist We Are as a Country, of the George Floyd uh, protests. And you would think that if you listen to almost every media outlet and pick up almost every major newspaper. But the facts get in the way of this. While we're not a perfect society, we have made unbelievable progress. And never before have there been more opportunity for more agendas. Uh, for for uh, gender equity as well as racial equity. That is according to the study of Wilford Riley, which I thoroughly agree with. He's an associate professor of political science at Kentucky State University and the author of books, Taboo, The Ten Facts You Can't Talk About, and Hate Crime Hoax. Uh, uh, professor Riley, welcome to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Oh, thanks for having me on the show, Brian.
0: So, Professor, I'm reading your commentary magazine column and you talk about how really America really not that racist, and the progress we made, uh, really from 1865 to today is phenomenal. What makes you think so?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the facts, basically. But the the column is an overall analysis. I mean, so the first page looks at residual but real racism that does exist in society. Um, I personally think this is mostly class, but your resume is a bit more likely to be rejected if it has a black name on it, so on. And I talk, I'm I'm a former business exec, so I talk about actual solutions to that. If you think this causes racism, let's replace the names with numbers, let's encourage people to use initials, but then I go into sort of the reality of group relations in a America today, where I point out that in response to that racism I described, we've had pro-minority affirmative action for the last 55 years. I mean, the Philadelphia plan dates to 1967, 53 years. You know, there's a huge minority business sector, and no one seems to have ever looked at how whites do when they apply to black-owned or Asian-owned businesses. And in the actual context of that, I pulled up the Britannica and Wikipedia lists of the wealthiest groups in the country, and I was surprised to see that eight out of the top ten are quote-unquote groups of color. You've got Indian Americans, I believe Nigerian Americans, Japanese Americans, so on down the line. So I make this point that no society is ever perfect. I mean, if you read the Bible or the old text, you'll find lines like, the poor will be ever with us, clashes will be ever with us. But we seem to be doing pretty well, and that's definitely not the panicked image you get from a lot of mainstream media, showing videos of people clashing in the streets with weapons and so on. That's, that's not reality for almost anyone in the country.
0: You're right. Our, you know, our country legally banned uh, segregation in 1954, virtually all discrimination formally illegal in 1964, and has practiced pro-minority affirmative action since 1967. And since that time, we've making more and more progress. What happened? Why don't we have—why uh, is that not the perception for most of America?
1: Because there are people that have a vested institutional interest in making that not the perception. I, I really don't think that's paranoid. It's just sort of a business case reality. I mean, those great groups that did a ton of good in the 1960s, if you're talking about you know, the SPLC, ACLU, so and other, are still here. And the question is, if there's very little real ethnic conflict, at least at the level of violence, at least at the level of big money, is there a reason to write these groups a check? And the answer to some extent is no. So what we've seen, I think, is the redefinition of terms like racism. Racism used to mean and still does mean to me and almost everyone else in the real world disliking members of another race. But when someone like Ibram Kendi, the sociologist, or Robin D'Angelo, name-dropping some of the academics here, says racism, what they mean is any system that produces outcomes that are at all disproportionate. So if Blacks do worse than whites, and Hispanics do worse than blacks on the SAT. The test must somehow be racist, even if no one can figure out how. And I mean, I frankly just think that's nonsense. By that standard, you know, the NBA and the NFL would be the most racist institutions in society. You know, mostly black, everyone else is white, there are no women at all. Uh, I I don't think that stands up.
0: So when you saw the George Floyd protest, first first off, your reaction to George Floyd and and what happened— Uh, as the trial, as the jury gets set and the trial begins to start?
1: I mean, I think what happened to George Floyd was a tragedy. Uh, The very least, you know, a man died. In the worst case scenario, a man was murdered. I have a lot of friends in law enforcement. I teach in political science and criminal justice. And they'll try to argue, you know, that neck hold is still the technique used in some non-updated police training manuals. My response to that would be, if I mean, I do some... Barring on the side, if your technique for restraint is holding a guy down for eight minutes, you need to you need to change that. So that is a tragedy. The question with George Floyd is what it represents, right? And the presentation of this MSNBC, CNN, so on, has been. This is just another example of our white supremacist society lynching a black man, an all-white team of officers had their knee on America's neck. The reality is that either two or three of the four officers involved with Mr. Floyd's death were men of color, Thao is of Hmong descent, Kung is, I think, Korean and black, not sure about white, and Chalvin is uh, Caucasian of French descent. There's no evidence race really played any sort of role here. Mr. Floyd was relevant or not fairly intoxicated, and it turns out that this is extraordinarily rare. Uh, If you go to www.killedbypolice.net, any site like this, the total number of unarmed people like Mr. Floyd, not armed criminals, unarmed, fairly innocent people, killed by the police in a typical year is between 9 and 15. And generally about two-thirds of those are white. So the idea that this is a problem that's sweeping the country, that again is something that's being said for gain by members of kind of one political side. That's, That's not really true.
0: Well, uh, how do you feel about uh, reparations? One of the main things they talked about yesterday was reparations, and that lit up the phones. And I had people from all walks have different opinions on this, and you know it's beginning in Chicago, where they're going to pay people, uh, a small group of people who have ancestors that date back from, I think, 1909 to 1925, who were discriminated when it comes to housing, which they feel, based on their skin color, up to $20,000 to fix what they have now or to get a new home. And they say this is just the beginning. There's so many other cities and states that are moving in that direction. How would you feel about that, uh, Professor Wilford Riley?
1: I actually I – now, obviously, I myself am a right-leaning businessman. But I actually have a more nuanced perspective on this than you might think. I mean, the U.S. government has paid reparative payments in the past to Japanese Americans On the The real problem here is that no one in America has ever been a slave. Um, I mean, we haven't slavery itself, what you'd really be paying reparations for, ended in 1865 when the integrated Union Army conquered the South, burned every building o- over three stories to the ground. So, I mean, the moral argument there is a bit iffy, but I think that a bigger problem would be the logical arguments. So, in terms of reparations, you know, one point here you could summarize is kind of who gets. For example, I'm half black, the other half Irish and Native when I receive reparations. You know, who pays? Do the descendants of those heroic Union soldiers who are eighty nine percent white do they pay reparations? Do individuals who came here from slavery in Sicily or Russia do they pay reparations? And the next question is who's next? I mean only a fool would forget that Native Americans, Irish Americans, women have organizations as well that would next make this demand. My final sentence here is kind of I don't think you can have reparations and what we have. So as you mentioned, we've had affirmative action for 50-plus years. We've had reparative programs in place. I personally would rather get $50,000 to invest once than have affirmative action go on for the next 60 years, but you can't have both. And I think the next step, which could actually lead to racial tensions or even racial violence, would be people demanding both, saying, well, reparations was a good first step, and I think that would be a disastrous step for the country.
0: Yeah, I don't know how you do it. Barack Obama, uh, evidently, his uh, mom's side descendant, uh, uh, were held slaves. Obviously, does Barack Obama write a check? I, I don't know how sure. that works, uh, Professor well, Riley. I-, I was also struck by uh, a couple other things. Do you remember yeah. that the college scandal with all these uh, uh, these these rich actor families who are pretending their kids were in sports so they got fake scholarships and admission to schools, and. Yeah. So I was shocked, too, that I saw a lot of black students come up and say, you know what? Now you know how we feel. Because a lot of people look at us on campus and they say, you're only here because you're a minority. Because uh, that's how, this is their words, not mine. And people look at us sideways saying, well, you're only here because they've got a certain amount of minorities that have to go to Harvard, have to go to Yale, have to be admitted to Princeton. And now when you see a celebrity walking on campus, they, can, they get the same looks that a lot of blacks feel, right or wrong. You know, how did you get in because you're a celebrity, because your mom paid off somebody? And they say, well, now you know what it's like for us, because I was valedictorian. When people look at me like I got a special dispensation because of the color of my skin or because of my heritage. And I was shocked by that because, you know, I never thought about it for for people that earn their way onto these campuses. Uh, They're they're not looked at that way because of the the affirmative action uh, said or unsaid with these schools.
1: Yeah, I mean, that that definitely is one of the side effects of affirmative action. So just, Brian, as I suspect you in your personal life, I mean, I'm not a bigot, hate, a racist, but it is important that we talk honestly about this stuff. Affirmative action isn't some illusion. Um, Affirmative action is extraordinarily real. I mean, if you are a government institution or government contractor, you might correct this a bit, but you can be sued if your workforce, staff, even student body doesn't meet proportional representation guidelines. So virtually every institution in the country is trying to bring in a student body. We see this even in the historically black colleges, which is my sector, but trying to bring in a student body that is, you don't want to say diverse enough that you don't get sued, but it pretty much looks like America. And I mean, right now, that would be, what, 13? percent black, 17 percent Hispanic. And the simple reality is that for a lot of reasons, including past racism and quote-unquote hood culture, those groups trail whites on the SAT by 100 to 150 points. And then you have to bring in the other elephant in the room, which is that Asians, Jewish Americans, several other groups smoke whites and blacks by more than 200 points. So to actually get this representation, this UN-looking campus, what you're doing is taking a guy from group A, let's say Latinos. Uh, Who might have an SAT or a board score 400 points below a guy from Group B, let's say Asians or Jewish Americans? So that actually is the cause. It's not racism or something magical in the air of a lot of these scoring and grading disparities that we see on the campus. So it it is, yes, it's unfortunate I was in this position to some extent, but if you're a black student that got the marks, got the grades, played the sports and got in, yeah, people might look uh, negatively at you. I think a bigger issue is simply colleges admitting a bunch of people that didn't earn their way into college. Now, I'll stand up and say it's not just the minority kids here. If you look at the percentage of people that are wealthy white legacies, that are athletes in sports like lacrosse, not necessarily men's football, that are you know, in-state admits what you just mentioned, rich people who bought the school, the quadrangle. I mean, that's probably plus affirmative action is probably the biggest group. I mean, that's probably 70 percent of the students on most Ivy League campuses. So a lot of people would say get rid of all of that and let people, you know, run for the brass ring and let the best people get into school. And I, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, I, it's, it's just fascinating. These are the conversations I want to have as opposed to uh, wrecking my city because something that happened 225 years ago or because I'm white, thinking that I have bias and racists, that gets people on the defensive. Then they say, I was going to engage in that conversation, but I can't win. I'm done. But we need to—this is the conversation I thought we were going to have a year ago with the George Floyd stuff, but we never got there. It was apologize. Um, I want to to share with you what Kamala Harris said this morning about what happened in Atlanta. Cut 42.
1: I think we have to be clear that we have a history— in America that we need to deal with, a history that included the Chinese Exclusion Act Mm -hmm. as a law, um, uh, that we interned Japanese Americans who also fought for the liberties of Americans um, in in war. And and we have this rise in hate crimes. When I was Attorney General of California, I published a hate crime report every year. It's not new, but it has grown, and it must be confronted and dealt with
0: which he said was fact, but is that showing itself now? Uh, no,
1: I mean, so there's first of all I will say the attorney general of every major state releases a hate crime report every year, every couple of years. I, I hate it when politicians and even business people do that where you list, you know, hickory smoked bacon, you list perfectly ordinary things as some kind of significant accomplishment. But getting to the actual point, um it, Obviously, some racism exists, just as affirmative action exists to limit whites, but no serious black intellectual denies racism exists. But saying a common form of false argument is saying racism exists so X problem in the black community, like fatherlessness, has to be due to racism. And the immediate response is when you look at those strong black men clashing with their Caucasian countrymen in the 1940s, they all took care of their kids. The illegitimacy rate was 8%. So the, the connection doesn't fit there. I mean, cancer also exists, but if you see a body with a bullet hole in the head, you don't necessarily assume not to be crude they died from cancer. So in this case, sure, we've had anti-Asian racism in the past, but if you look at this – but Asians are the most successful group in the country first. And if you Look at this wave of recent crimes. I mean, there's 65, 70% African American. This shooter in Atlanta, I mean, obviously was a Caucasian guy, but there's fairly little evidence that he was motivated by hatred of Asians. I mean, he seems to have had some deep seated sexual problems, frankly. I mean, he described himself as a sex addict. He'd gone to therapy. He was a Christian and he was dealing with these sort of what he viewed as flawed urges, and he was going to these massage parlors pretty often in Atlanta. They provide sex, illicitly or illicitly. Everyone knows that. So, I mean, you've got a complex case here where the guy needs to go to jail or be executed. What happened to these women is terrible, but race doesn't seem to be a primary motive. You have and, to unpack and, and, each story and talk about it as adults. Thank also, you, final comment.
0: And for fresh guy, probably, but yet they wanted to immediately say, look, okay. shot Asian massage parlors targeting Asians, so therefore, America, you suck. Right. I mean, why jump to that conclusion when, by the way, the police officer was trying to say that was not their conclusion. What you just said is what the what the investigation revealed. Final thought.
1: Um, I think that they say that all the time, because when you only have a hammer, all problems look like nails. There are a bunch of people dedicated to sort of professional criticism of the country. We should listen to everything they say with that in mind.
0: Uh, wow. I, I learned a lot. Your commentary is fantastic. It's not absolute. It takes a conversation. Professor Wilfred Riley, thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good day.
1: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com.